And I was like, that just lifted everything off my chest because it just felt like I was free. Like for the first time and a little bit over a year, I felt safe. This episode is brought to you by The Parlor Hair and Body Salon. With a quick reminder, it's okay to take time for yourself. Hi, I'm Chelsea. You're listening to Beyond the Picket Fence, where you're invited to take a break from keeping it together. Let's get real. This is story number two in a three-part series. We are honoring survivors. Today's guest, Maddie Sapp, put the UR in Survivor. This is the slogan for her Miss Berkeley County teen campaign. Maddie is a survivor of sexual abuse herself, and she is here to tell her story. Hi, I'm Maddie Sapp. I am Miss Berkeley County teen in South Carolina. I'm involved in the Miss America organization pageant system. And my social impact initiative is You Are is in Survivor. And I've broken that down into three main categories that I focus on through my initiative, and that is educate, speak, empower. And the overall message that I'm trying to get across is that those who have been affected by sexual assault or abuse are not victims, but survivors. Maddie never really had a dad around while growing up. Her mom was a single mom, and they lived with Maddie's grandparents. But when she was five or six, her mom met a guy. They dated, got serious, and eventually, the couple was engaged. This guy was almost too good to be true. Her mom's Prince Charming. And it was honestly like a Prince Charming to me as well, because I've never felt like the love of a father figure, right? And then my mom got pregnant with my little sister. And I want to say around the time that they got engaged, I was still in first, second grade. He started like physically abusing me. So like pinching me like over like the littlest things, you know, kids are, kids are silly, right? Like they, um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. Annoying really. And it would be like over something, not that serious, nothing that I need to get in trouble for. He would pinch me. And then I started getting bruised on my legs. They were often in the car alone on the way home from school and activities. Maddie's aunt, who also lived with her grandparents at that time, noticed the bruising. And she was like, like, hey, what's up with this? And I told her, my stepfather, he's pinching me. So she brought up to my mom. And one thing about him and one thing about a lot of abusers, um, serial abusers, should I say, so they're very, they know how to manipulate. They know how to get themselves out of situations. And obviously, since I was like six years old, he was basically like, no, like this, it's fine. Like she must just be getting hurt on the playground, like over little things. Like it's not me, I promise. So then, you know, we, we move on from that and that is still a regular occurrence. One day, Maddie's aunt brought home a new boyfriend to meet the family. My stepdad like went off and he did not like him for whatever reason. It was just a way for him to get us out of the house. That way he could obviously continue to do what he was doing to me, but at a more extreme level. And my stepdad convinced my mom, like, we need to move out the house, like, now. Like, I don't like this at all. And my mom was like, okay. And so we moved to an apartment. And then that's whenever the abuse really started to get worse. It wasn't physical at this point. It was now sexual. And the way he would get away with this was essentially especially during the summer, my mom went to work and he worked on the weekends. So I was home with him all week alone. 
And my sister was still a baby at this point in time. And he would put all the responsibility on me. Like if she's crying, it's your job to go make a bottle. It's your job to take care of it. It's your job to check on her. Well, he played video games the whole day. And obviously that's a lot. I'm about to start third grade. Like that's, that's a lot. And if I didn't do what he wanted me to do fast enough, then, you know, there'd be repercussions. And it was again, over the littlest of things, or it was, you're not taking care of your sister sort of thing. I remember one time he had took me and my sister out to go grocery shopping and I have ADHD. And he asked me, he said, did you take your medicine? And I said, no, I forgot. Like I'm a little kid, you know, very forgettable and obviously really goofy kid. I mean, stereotypical blonde, like I'm just here for a good time. Like, no, I didn't take my medicine. You didn't remind me. And we get home and he just like throws me up against the wall with the groceries. And he was like, you need to take your medicine right now. And so that again, was physical. And then I remember this one time where it was Mother's Day and I was asleep and he had come to wake me up because he was fixing my mom something for breakfast and I didn't wake up on time. He didn't like that. So he came back to my room and like punched me until I woke up. But the sexual abuse was... I can't, I can't really describe like what would happen before this, because obviously like my memory is just erased from what led up to it. All I remember is what happened and I would get in trouble for something. And, you know, parents would, I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know if parents still do this, but like wash their kids mouth out with soap if they say something that they don't like. And he was like, you know what, you're getting your mouth washed out with soap. And And what was weird about this is whenever I would get this punishment is we'd go into my, him and my mom's room, we'd go in the closet and the lights were all turned off. And then that's whenever I would hear what sounded like a buckle, like a belt buckle being taken off and then something falling to the ground. And then my mouth was around something that wasn't fingers. It wasn't like the top of a soap bottle. Like it was weird. And I didn't know it was bad. Like I was a very innocent child. Like I didn't know what was going on. I just thought this was a regular thing that happened to most kids because I remember being over at my cousin's house and their parents would be like, you're getting your mouth washed out with soap. So I thought it was normal thing that occurred if you got in trouble as a, as a kid. So this was going on, you know, like physical abuse and then sexual abuse. I remember this one time, like I said, he was very manipulative and it was after he had hit me and he was at work and I was alone with my mom on the weekend and I went up to my mom we were watching tv together and I said you know what he hits me she was like oh my gosh like when did this happen what happened and then the next day was Monday and she obviously had apparently had confronted him about it and she was like we'll talk about this whenever I get back home and so she leaves for work and then he just goes off on me like starts telling me like why would you say that you don't know what you're talking about you're a liar, basically brainwashing me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry. Like, it just hurt. And like, by him telling me that it made me think, okay, like, this is normal. Like, this is what happens to all kids. And then that conversation, like I started crying. And one of his punishments for me was to lay on the ground and do flutter kicks. And then another fun fact about me is I have asthma. And so whenever like I wasn't doing the flutter kicks fast enough I remember one time he got on the ground and like put his knee on my chest and then like covered my mouth and my nose that way I couldn't breathe so 
that the flutter kick punishment is what I got during that conversation. And then he had called my mom and he made me say, I, you know what, mom, like I'm lying. Like this never happened. And so the abuse continued like that. And he had brainwashed me. He'd brainwashed my mom. Things between her mom and stepdad got weird after that. Sometime following that conversation, Maddie's mom had accidentally broken her phone. We lived on the second floor of the apartment complex and it was outdoors. So like the stairs were outdoors and a roach had called up her and, you know, like South Carolina roaches are a thing. Like, <laughs> it's really gross. And so it freaked her out. So she threw her phone and it cracked open. So her phone didn't work. And one morning he was at work and I said, oh my, like you got a new phone mom. Like, oh, like, that's cool. And she was like, no, like you can't tell him about this. Like at all. Like you got to keep this a secret. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I didn't really like him that much. I was like, oh yeah, like I got you. Fast forward a little bit. Maddie was at school. And usually when school gets out, you sit in the corridor line. And when your number comes up on the whiteboard, that's your cue to go out and find your car. Good old parent pickup line. <laughs> Side note, you teachers out there doing that are saints. Well, this day for Maddie was different. You see, usually her stepdad picks her up from school. But today, he was nowhere to be seen. Instead, there was her grandfather, an aunt, that she used to live with. And so whenever I saw them, it was just like this huge sigh of relief because I'm like, oh my gosh, like they're coming to pick me up. Like I hadn't seen them. I would barely gotten to see them because he had kept us away from my family or that side of my family. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. And I get in the car and they take me back to my old home, which is where my grandparents and my aunt were still living. And they're like, do you have anything at the old house that you need? or at your apartment that you need. And I said, no, I don't think so, except for my medicine stuff. And they were like, okay, well, you're not going back there. And I was like, that just lifted everything off my chest because it just felt like I was free. Like for the first time and a little bit over a year, I felt safe. Maddie stayed there for now, but her mother and sister did not. Come to find out my mom and my sister were not at the apartment anymore. They were hiding at a hotel. She had to change her car. Yay! This moment is one that unless you've been there, in that situation, it may be hard to understand. Some might ask, what took so long? Why not believe the kid? Why, why, why? And to those thoughts, first, stop it. And second, stop it. There will be no victim shaming here. I did wonder though, what gave Maddie's mom the courage to get out? Basically, what had happened was that my mom saw me asleep on the couch one day and she noticed like I was becoming very skinny. She noticed that there was bruising on my face and why she told me not to tell him about the phone was because he had shut off the Wi-Fi so that way she couldn't contact her mom, my grandma. And so there was just all these things. One thing led to another. She also said that he was you know, before he went in for work, he was getting a little bit more dressed up than he normally would. So just all these things. And so she had finally made the decision to leave and to flee. So that's kind of where the abuse came to a close. After it was safe, her mom and little sister returned to her grandparents' house where they still reside. Needless to say, there was a divorce in the works. As they were going through the divorce, he was trying to get custody of my sister and because that was his kid. She's technically my half-sister, but I look at her as my full-blooded sister, and that's all she knows me as, really, is her full-blooded sister. So he was trying to get custody of 
my sister and my mom had started making me go to therapy because, and I didn't like it. It was weird, you know, and they were asking me all these questions. And my mom basically told me, she's like, you're going to thank me for this one day. And I was still in third grade at this point. So I was still around eight whenever the abuse came to a close and whenever I started going to therapy. So um, I was like, okay, like, you know, like you tell me I'm going to thank you for this later. And what saved my sister from having to see him ever again was me telling my therapist, this is what happened to me. I know what this part of the body is. Like I've seen that. And that basically is what say my sister and I've been in therapy ever since. And you know, and I, I have thanked my mom for putting me through that. Obviously, once you get out of that situation, like I said, I felt free, but I, I wasn't really free because, you know, you're on this like adrenaline high, like, oh my gosh, like I'm away from this. But then you realize that there's this thing in your brain that's telling you everything means danger. A person that looks like this, that means danger. This smell means danger. So I had a lot of PTSD. Luckily, I've been, I've been able to work through that. It's taken me eight years, but I've finally worked through that. So that's my story in a nutshell. The grace and the confidence of this young woman are astounding. Maddie is a voice for so many, and being so open sometimes comes with people asking uninvited questions. Some people ask me, like, how do you know it was sexually? Like, how do you know that he was doing this to you, like, in the closet? And I was like, it's kind of like I relate this to whenever I would watch Golden Girls as an eight-year-old. And I'd be like, oh, like, why is everybody laughing? And then you watch it now as I'm a 17-year-old, and I'm like, that's why everybody was laughing. It's like whenever you're a little kid, you're innocent. You don't really know like what's happening to you. And then as I started growing up in the grade levels and then learning of like having the birds and the bees talk and learning all of this stuff, I'm like, oh my gosh, like (laughs) that wasn't, that wasn't a finger. That wasn't soap. Like that was his private parts. Dang, that's so sad. How did you feel when you were trying to tell someone and then they didn't listen? Did you feel like you were in the wrong? Yes, I did because they would confront him and then I would get punished. And so then I, that's like, I would feel very powerless. And I would also feel like I was in the wrong, but it was like, he was like brainwashing me. Like I wouldn't even know what I was doing wrong, but I knew that that meant I was going to get hurt. If that makes any sense. He was making you feel like he wasn't doing anything wrong, like you were in the wrong. And you were weird to be thinking that I need to tell someone about this. Right. Exactly. Exactly. How scary. And you were just little. I know. So do you ever find yourself angry or like sad or it affecting your life now? Now that I think about it, I've never really felt angry towards him. After I came out of that situation, I've had a great support system. Like my entire family stood behind me. They're the ones that made me go to therapy. They're the ones that took me to these therapy appointments. And they always told me, it is not your fault. And my therapist would tell me, it's not your fault. And so I think because I've had this great support system and I went to therapy as soon as the abuse was over, that I've never really felt mad at him. I put all the blame on him, but I never really felt mad at him. Wow, so beautiful. Maddie is just a breath of fresh air. And after all of the evidence of physical and sexual abuse to Maddie, and what sounds like at least emotional abuse towards her mother, I wondered, did he ever hurt Maddie's little sister? That's actually great that you bring that up because 
my mom would say that because my sister was still a baby and she was still in diapers. My mom said that they have suspicions that maybe he might have done something. It's not obviously she was baby, so she can't tell us. But she said my mom said it was weird because whenever she would go to change my sister's diaper, she would like start kicking. So my mom has suspicions that maybe something happened to her as she was a baby because of that. But we don't really know for sure. Surely, after such an awful crime, this man is in prison now, right? We'll find that out after the break. You know, it can be so frustrating. Kids, how is it possible to love something so much and feel so at our wits end at the exact same time? It can be especially difficult to deal with their big feelings when we're trying to handle our own. And guess what? Even the best moms lose it sometimes. But you don't have to lose it if you don't want to. I just took a workshop called How to Stop Yelling at Your Kids, and it's only $29. And because it helped me so much, I scored you a code so you can get $10 off. So for only $19, you'll learn why you're yelling, how to yell less, and because nobody's perfect, Find grace for yourself when you don't handle things exactly the way you would like to. Hear that? No more mom guilt. That's priceless if you ask me. Go to enlighteningmotherhood.com slash stop yelling and use code BEYOND at checkout. Of course, I don't expect you to remember that. So for your convenience, the link and the info is in the show notes. You're welcome. So Maddie just told us her story and I had to know, did he go to prison? And for how long? Has he been charged or anything? Like, did you have to get up in court and testify or anything? Yes. So because of the stipulations of the divorce, both of them have gag orders against each other. I, at least I know my mom does. Like, if he's dating somebody, my mom can't go and be like, hey, I'm warning you this happened to my daughter. But I want to say that he has a gag order against her as well. So it all came down to me. Like whenever I felt like I was ready to speak up. And that moment came, I was, I want to say seventh grade. And I had been in therapy for obviously a long time at that point. And I said, you know what, I feel like I'm ready to press charges, or at least try and like get him because I don't want anybody to go through what I went through. And I also I think I realized from a young age that I was very lucky in the sense that I wasn't going to let this hinder my future. I was going to fight the PTSD and fight all this. So I felt like I was ready. And so my therapist was with me and my mom and she came over to our house and we called the police, filed a police report and told them when it happened and what had happened. So then at that point, we went and met with the solicitor and the outcome of the case was (laughs) we had to plea down because apparently whenever my mom was going through the divorce and found out like what happened to me, she had hired a detective because come to find out he was cheating. And so she had hired a detective and whenever she was pushing for answers, because obviously her kid just like was sexually abused, the detective took that as her being a crazy ex-wife. And also the detective wrote that note. And obviously if we had went to trial, It wasn't them coming after me. It was them coming after my mom and coming after my mom's credibility. And so my mom and the solicitor, they didn't want me to go through that. So we plead to a 100-year restraining order, which I have against him, which doesn't really do anything because like the whole point of me doing this was to 
get him so that way he wouldn't hurt anybody else and then also I believe it was I want to say assault and battery so not really what we were looking for but at least he has a track record now like he has paper trail now which I hope he never does it again but if he ever were to and another young woman wanted to come forward then he has paper trail and then my case can be reopened and I can back up their case hopefully he never does it again but in these cases they usually do so yeah and hopefully someone's brave enough to talk about it right oh the injustice how is this guy not a registered sex offender i don't mean to be a negative whiny crybaby but seriously the system is so effed up there are no words i guess all we can do is pray for the women who have been are with or are going to be with this man and let's hope this story gets out to the right people. Right. And like my mom, like can't say anything. And if she does, then she'll get in trouble. And so my mom wanted him registered as a sex offender. But obviously that didn't happen, um, which really sucks. So what does Maddie do to fight the good fight? She joins the pageant system and speaks out publicly against sexual abuse. I got involved in the Miss America organization because my AP Lang teacher from last year is one of the LEDs. So basically that means a local executive director over a preliminary competition to state and her pageant was coming up and she was like, Maddie, I know we don't know each other that well, but I think you should do this. And I was like, hmm, I've been very involved in sports my whole life. And at this point I was still set on playing basketball And that didn't really work out for me. So whenever that didn't work out for me, I was like, you know what? I need something to do. And I'd always wanted to get involved in my community. I've always wanted to speak. And like, if I couldn't get him in jail, then I wanted a way for me to tell my story and at least help other people. And so I got involved into her pageant and I didn't win, but it gave me motivation. And obviously I knew that if I ever decided to do this, that my social impact initiative would be you are as a survivor because of my past and because I wanted to help other people. So I didn't win her pageant, but there was another one coming up and it was Miss Berkeley County. And I was like, you know what? Should I give this another shot? Like I probably won't win. My goal was to win a preliminary competition before I graduated high school. And so I was like, you know what? Like, let's do this. So I went to compete for Miss Berkeley County teen and I went from not winning anything to winning the talent preliminary award, the onstage question award, an evening gown award, and then I won the title. So I basically won like a lot of things. And then that kickstarted my journey into where I am today, as I guess you could say a spokesperson for sexual abuse survivors. That is so cool. So tell me a little bit more about your platform. It's U R is in survivor, like the letter U. Yes. Yes. So how'd you come Uh, up with that? And tell me more about that. So, I mean, I don't even know how I came up with it. I was just throwing things out there. I knew I wanted something about, I knew I wanted the word survivor in the name of my initiative. And then I was like, you know what? It's kind of like there is no I in team, but it's like U R is in survivor. So I was like, you know what? That's really cool. And I think that that summarizes into a couple words, what my entire social impact initiative is about. And basically what my social impact initiative is about is it's a lot of me speaking up about what happened to me. I've been working with Dorchester Children's Advocacy Center 
which is a nonprofit organization in my community. They help children, trauma survivors. A lot of it is sexual abuse, but it can be other things like watching a car accident happen in front of your eyes. And they actually helped me whenever I was going through, whenever the abuse had just ended. Like they were one of the organizations that we went to for help. So I've been working with them, going to a lot of events with them. And my whole message is that you're not a victim, you're a survivor. And this is what you can do whenever you, like you can do it. Like once you accept that you are a survivor, you know, the world has nothing on you. And that's my whole message through that. Maddie uses the pageant as her stage to get this message out. So often when we think of pageants, we think of girls walking around looking pretty, but it is so much deeper. One thing that I love about pageants is that it's really helped with my confidence a lot. Like I was very iffy going into it and now I feel like I can do anything. And it's really empowered me to use my voice even more because of the confidence that it gives you. Whenever you're on stage, it's your job to get the judges' focuses onto you. So that helps with my confidence a lot. Believe it or not, I was actually in one pageant in high school. My mom put me in it at a time of my life when I was a very angry little teenager. I had just broken up with a guy that I wasn't supposed to be with, and that's a whole drama for another time. Anyway, I didn't super love the pageant, but I did love the talent portion. I love to sing and to watch others' talents. It's always been my favorite thing about pageants. So with my limited pageant knowledge, I wondered, what was Maddie's talent? Was she like a motivational speaker? I would definitely love to do more speaking events. And I was hoping to do that with Dorchester Children's Advocacy Center. However, because I'm still a minor, they have to be very careful about what I say. I guess anything that I do with them, like they have to be careful about like what I say. Like they can't really let me speak yet, which I totally understand. But I would love to get into motivational speaking. But my talent is actually a monologue or spoken word, I guess you could say. I saw a quote by Danielle Kopke. I hope I'm saying that name right. She's an author and she has this quote and it's about overcoming. I think it was an eating disorder, but the way that she talked about it, like you can relate it to almost anything because it was very broad. So I performed that monologue to win Miss Berkeley County Teen. And then I performed it at state as well. One of my favorite parts of it is where it says no matter who gets mad at me no matter if it makes people uncomfortable like I will be who I am and speak my truth and one of my favorite parts about it was my LEDs they were like you know I think it'd be really cool if you got a survivor shirt and you highlighted you are in teal and then you got a teal skirt and what I love about this is that my grandma got to help like she made the skirt so it was like a piece of my grandma and then like my LED made the shirt And so basically like it was me talking about something and so that way the audience knew what I was relating it to. Like my costume kind of told the audience like what I was speaking about. And it was just really cool. Like I loved it. And it was one of those moments after I got off stage because my competition schedule was talent first. was what I was most afraid of, uh, was doing my talent. And once I got off stage, I just did that. Like I just did that. Like that is crazy. And My mom, my grandma said that you could hear people like kind of like tearing up behind them. And then you could hear like whenever I performed it for my preliminary competition, like I heard somebody in the audience go, yes, period. Like as I was speaking, it's a very powerful quote. Lucky us, 
Maddie, Miss Berkeley County teen herself, sent me this recording of her monologue so we could hear it. Most of my life has been spent trying to shrink myself, trying to become smaller, quieter, less opinionated, less sensitive, less needy, less me. Because I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want to be too much or push people away. I wanted people to like me. I wanted to be cared for and valued. I wanted to be wanted. So for years, I sacrificed myself for the sake of making other people happy. And for years, I suffered. But I'm tired of suffering and I'm done shrinking. It's not my job to change who I am in order to become someone else's idea of a worthwhile human being. I am worthwhile, not because other people think I am, but because I exist and therefore I matter. My thoughts matter, my feelings matter, my voice matters, and with or without anyone's permission or approval, I will continue to be who I am and speak my truth. Even if it makes people angry, even if it makes them uncomfortable, even if they choose to leave, I refuse to shrink. I choose to take up space. I choose to honor my feelings. I choose to give myself permission to get my needs met. I choose to make self-care a priority. I choose me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. This is so cool. I'm so proud of you because, you know, everyone's going to face difficult and tragedy in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, you faced it when you were really little and you learned tools to overcome it and you're very equipped to handle whatever life is mm-hmm. at you because you know you've already overcome one of the worst things that can happen. Right. And I think also what comes with being a title holder and being a teen and not, so there's two different levels in the Miss America organization. There's teen and miss. And miss are, they're kind of like more mature and poised. Like they have to answer political questions in their interview and stuff. But teens, they're kind of like, the judges expect them to be happy-go-lucky. Like they have their, social impact initiative and they should know it, but you know, they're going to be a teen sort of thing. So I think what comes with me representing something so serious and so big is I had one of the judges while I was doing a mock interview, they asked me, they said, what would you say to somebody that says that you're too young to speak about this? And I was like, you know what? I've had several adults come up to me and say, I went through the same thing you did, but I can't speak about it in public. Like, I just can't. So it's like, I think that no matter your age, you know what happened to you. You know what, you know your body. Your brain is telling you these things are dangerous because something bad happened to you. No matter what your age is, like, you can speak on it and you can be credible. And the other part of my social impact initiative is that I was so lucky to have had a mom and a grandma and an aunt who taught me from a young age what it's like to be a strong, independent woman. And then once this happened to me, they were the ones, along with my Nana and all my other aunts, they were the ones that were on the front lines with me, helping me fight this. So I think that I was lucky in that sense, that I had people snapping me out of it and telling me, like, I can do this, while a lot of other people that go through things such as sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual violence, like, They don't have a support system. A lot of the times it's in a relationship and they can't get out of it because, you know, maybe the only person that they know is their significant other. So that's also what my social impact initiative is about, is about like breaking down the barrier between people feeling uncomfortable because you're talking about this 
and letting people know that we need to, instead of pushing that subject away, that we need to embrace it and we need to look for the signs and help other people who are going through this because they don't have a support system. So it's our job to be that for them. So cool. Do you have any hopes and dreams for the future? Like, are you hoping to create this into your life work or do you just want to be like a normal nine to five job person? Like, what are your goals? I think that this definitely will carry on into my life's work. Like, obviously I will have my, I don't want to say main career because this is obviously like my main goal in life is to create this society that is welcoming us survivors with opening arms and supporting them with open arms. But obviously I, I want to be a goat farmer. (laughs) I want to, you know, I want to own my own business, but at the same time, like I want people to rest assured that even after I'm done with pageants, like this isn't just my social impact initiative to help me succeed in the pageant world. Like this is my life's mission. I'm never going to stop working through my initiative. So inspiring. I want to be like Maddie when I grow up. Also, we got to go back and talk about this goat farmer situation. (laughs) So cute. I was unlucky in the sense that I never grew up around farm animals. I always had dogs and I was always watching Nacho Wild, always watching Animal Planet. My aunt was a wildlife biologist. So that love for animals has been instilled in me from a young age. And I knew that I wanted to do something with animals whenever I grew up. And then on YouTube, I was like scrolling through the recommended videos. I saw this lady, they actually live in Arizona and she owns a goat farm and she made it into her career. And I was like, stop it. Like she breeds goats and then sells them. Like her whole thing is to better the breeds. That way she can sell them to other people that want to start dairy goat farming or other people that want to create like a good, strong herd. And so I'm learning a lot from her. But, I'm so um, excited. <laughs> I, I hope you do this. <laughs> but I'm also thinking about going into social media marketing because that's an up and coming thing. So that way I could be able to sustain the life that I want. Obviously, goat farming is going to be like what I'm going to do. I'm going to find a way to do it. But those are like the two, my two main goals in life. I want a career that I can afford the lifestyle that I want later on down the road. And that is like owning a farm. So I'm still trying to figure out stuff with that, like how I'm going to be able to afford this acreage. That way I can live out my dream. I'm still trying to figure that out. But yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. Stuff. Maddie's dairy goat farm will be a thing in the near future. Don't you guys worry. People love goats. Like a lot of farmers have gotten famous because they show off their goats. Like I'm so excited. <laughs> Man, to be 17 again. I love Maddie's passion for life, and her future is so bright. Even though she's been through the crap of this world, she is still so bright and cheery and hopeful. Again, I truly dream to one day be as cool as Maddie. I hope as life keeps throwing obstacles in her way, she keeps being her fun-loving self. And with that, I ask, what do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? I'm often seen as this happy-go-lucky blonde girl who hasn't gone through anything hard. I put on this front accidentally, I would say, that my life is put together. But as I'm speaking to you right now, like, you see, you see me. But what's going on behind the camera is like a messy room full of clothes that need to be put through the laundry. I'm still going through things like a normal person would, like a normal person who has gone through trauma would. And I just wish people sometimes saw me as 
a person and not just like this happy-go-lucky girl that knows nothing. My PTSD, my anxiety hasn't been affecting me recently. Then I had an incident at school where most kids would just brush it off. But for me, it was like, I need to go home sort of thing. And so I would just say that I wish that instead of people seeing me as, obviously I want people to see me as happy-go-lucky girl, but I also want people to understand that I am a survivor. And what comes with that is healing. And I'm still healing. I'm still going through these things and I'm nowhere near perfect. This has been another episode of Beyond the Picket Fence. If you have a story to share or you know someone that does, please reach out to me on my website, Facebook, or Instagram. The link for all these things should be in the show notes. Will. They will be in the show notes. I'm going to put them there for you. And as always, be kind, because you never know what's going on beyond the picket fence.